Anybody who has worked in a family business knows that they're often complicated and extremely difficult to sustain from one generation to the next. Trust me, I know. On today's episode, you're going to hear the story of a thriving fifth-generation family manufacturing business that is constantly reinventing itself. I interviewed Adria and Aaron Bagshaw, owners of W.H. Bagshaw, a machining company in Nashua, New Hampshire, that started over 150 years ago. For 135 years, W.H. Bagshaw produced the same type of metal pins on ancient equipment until finally purchasing its first CNC Swiss machine in 2005. Since then, the company has modernized and acquired three other manufacturing companies, including its newest addition, a wooden baseball bat company. Those topics make it a fun listen. But the best part of the interview to me was feeling the passion this married couple has for their business, the fun they're having running it, and the way their personalities complement each other so well. This is Swarfcast, the podcast for professionals in precision machining. I'm your host, Noah Graff. As listeners of this podcast know, my family company, Graf Pinkert, has been buying and selling used machine tools all over the world for the last 80 years. Every day while selling machinery, we talk to owners of machining companies who tell us they want to expand their business through acquisition. We also encounter a lot of owners of companies who are ready to exit but don't have successors. This inspired us to start a new business service. Graf Pinkert Acquisitions and Sales, in which we serve as consultants for precision machining companies who want to buy or sell their businesses. There are a lot of business brokers out there who can list your company. But for the most part, those people are generalists. They may not have even heard of precision machining. Another unique thing about working with Graf Pinkert is that we often have a personal relationship with both the potential buyer and seller putting us in a rare position to evaluate if the two parties are a good fit for each other. Go to graphpinkert.com to contact us for a consultation to see if your sales or acquisitions needs are a good fit for our services. Mention this podcast and we will give you a free tabletop valuation of your company's equipment. Click on the link in the show notes. I am very honored to be with Adria and Aaron Bagshaw of WH Bagshaw in Nashua, New Hampshire. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Noah. We're psyched to be here. Thank you. I am very psyched to have you. You guys have so many interesting things going on, a lot of different stories to tell. I want to just start by getting a brief overview of your company, um, and then we'll we'll work off there. Yeah, I can give you some some brief brief history. Um, so we started manufacturing pins in 1870, a pin like this right here in wow. Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, we were in Lowell, Massachusetts manufacturing pins really until uh, late 19, 1940s. Um, and this was, this was your great-great-grandfather. Yep. Great-great-grandfather. Correct. So we are, we are the fifth generation um, to be manufacturing uh, pins and precision turn parts. 
So we moved uh, out of Lowell, Massachusetts, 1949, uh, moved to southern New Hampshire, uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, uh, and we're in that same location. Uh, we've been in that same location ever since. So uh, here we are in, what is it, 2023, and we're, yeah. we're still in Nashua. Um, old mill building, 100,000 square feet, so we have a lot of space. Um, yep, a lot of space to grow. Um, we occupy probably a third of that uh, that space and rent out some other space there. But um, you know, we've transitioned from from that that pin manufacturing process um, really to to Swiss CNC parts and you know big you know big precision turn parts. Um, so we're doing lots of lots of new things. Um, you know, when did you? When did you transition into doing that? Adria is definitely the, the dates person, the numbers, the numbers woman. Uh, we brought our first CNC machine in 2005. 2005. And until then, you mainly were just sticking to needles and pins. Oh, my gosh. No. Yeah. And, and we didn't have really to mention any updated equipment. Uh, you know, I mean, the equipment we had was, you know, goes back to the to our, our founding, you know, we've had some cold, you know, cold heading machines, which were, you know, relatively new, um, knurling machines. So we've had some, you know, 1960s vintage machines, I guess that was probably some of our newest additions at the time. <laughs> For me, that's not crazy. Yeah. If you had just stayed with that equipment and that product, would you have been able to survive? Good question. If we just stripped out the CNC machines and all of the revenue and opportunities, no. Um, assuming that had we not gone down the CNC route and had evolved into something else possibly, but the CNC department's probably 80% of our revenue right now, if not more, 90. Uh, yeah. yeah. But hypothetically, if you just said, this is what we do, we make the greatest needles and pins ever, we have the best reputation, would you have been able to survive or would all of that have gone to China eventually? Yeah, no, I think the answer, the yeah. answer is no. Yeah, we would not have been able to survive. Yeah. 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 You are still making some of the original product or have you finally phased that out? We phased it out, but we, we have been able to convert some of the processing of, of the pins over to the Swiss CNC machines, right? So the Swiss world in our factory can, can manufacture some of the pins uh, very well. You know, the lower quantity, higher, higher priced product, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that, that warrants that type of price point, uh, we're able to do, to do that with the Swiss machines. Okay. And what products are you making for what industries? Specifically, um, so textile industry, um, static elimination, so industrial, mm-hmm. um, medical, aerospace. So the, you know the big ones are, are there. Did did you always plan on going into the business, Aaron? The CNC business, or or just no, you just the, joining Bagshaw? Yeah, yeah. No, there wasn't. I mean, there wasn't any pressure to be in the business. Um, so I guess that allowed me to to really get into the niche that that made sense for me. Um, so you know, but I had opportunity, right? So I was you know doing sales at, at a younger age um, through college. I was calling on customers, um, understanding what we what we did and what we did well. Did you work there as a kid, like summers and stuff? Yeah, or? I would do summer stuff. Really, the you know the worst jobs that were there, I would end up doing in the summer. So yeah, that's, it's always been, like I said, an opportunity for me. Yeah. Um, were you 
kind of like conflicted at one point? Um, did you feel like obligated kind of or um, pressure? No, no, there wasn't there, there wasn't that. I know really bringing in that that first Swiss machine for me really allowed us to find find a different what's the word I'm looking for really a different path path I mean identity identity, identity. yeah identity is really is really the one um, thank you that was a good team effort yeah identity right because through that we found the, the PMPA Precision Machine Products Association and it really allowed us to to grow into that group of people and the industry you know before that we were you know and it's nothing to sneeze at we were the oldest pin makers in the world no Third oldest in the world. Sorry, we were old, wow. oldest in America, um, but that's, we were a pin maker, right? I mean, that's part of our DNA. But at the point, that's all we were, and I just felt like there was more, much more opportunity for us to be grabbing. So that was one of the first. Was that was that your idea to do it? Well, yeah, to bring in that that first machine. I was, you know, I had a stack of prints on my desk and um, I think we're just throwing these opportunities away because all we can make is this pin right here right but you think a pin is something completely different than this right you're going to send it to the oldest pin maker in America to to, to quote it so we had a bunch of opportunities that were on our desk and like we got to try something here and Citizen was was our local our local dealer and that's interesting how you were getting the quotes even though you were um... yeah yeah, and I would say at the same time, Aaron knew that we couldn't keep manufacturing a point on a pin the same way on, you know, the same technology from 1870. So he was looking for a machine that could do that economically. Right. Um, we really didn't find the exact Were you thing. Were you in the business at that point, Adria? Um, kind of at the crossroads. We met on a blind date in 2000, both of us in manufacturing. 23 I, years ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> ironically, my first job out of college was the supervisor of a machine shop. Like last thing in a million years I would have expected to be doing. I loved the job description and the atmosphere was interesting to me. But just crazy to think that, you know, I met someone in manufacturing on a blind date and and then later, you know, Destiny. we started in the same kind of machines that, yeah. So you were doing like CNC machines in the machine shop that you were in. Yeah. When I was, well, I, you know, I was supervising it. Uh, when I was 22, went on to higher tech departments, worked in HR for a bit, and then got into the sales side. Um, so I was working um, in manufacturing when we met, but looking at kind of the corporate ladder, different, totally different path and didn't, you know, really it wasn't until... 2004, we felt like the business was at a crossroads and he was bringing in an ERP system and I'd worked with a number of them. So every night, you know, I was giving input and we were problem solving together. And then when our son was born, um, I really loved the company that I was with, but, you know, I couldn't go back in a part-time capacity at my old job. They were going to look for an administrative role. Ah, uh. Yeah, it was like that was the next question I was going to ask about working together. My my grandfather, you know, we're like an 80 year company and my grandfather passed a rule. Maybe it was I think it was it wasn't like actually a written rule, but it was the no wives rule. Ah, yeah, yeah. No wives in the business. Not that you couldn't have a wife. Correct. (laughs) Eventually, eventually there was a wife that came in and it wasn't the best result. 
I call so, it. I, I always say I'm the Muggle. You the know, Muggle, the, like in Harry Potter. Yeah, like the non-magical. Like I'm not a purebred. Yeah. Yeah, or the the mud blood, as the as the snobby bad wizards call them. There you go. Yeah. So the the funny thing is, is we're looking forward, you know, and thinking about whether our kids might want an opportunity to run the business if they'd want to be involved. You, you worry about that, and you've only got two shots. And then it occurred to us, <laughs> right? We've got two kids, so. But it, it was through chatting with Chelsea and Parrish um, from DeCruz Manufacturing. And, right, you know, right. She married into the business. I'm like, wait a minute. We've got two more opportunities, assuming they find a, a mate and get married. Maybe they'll have some business acumen or want to get involved. Right. True. And as I, I had mentioned in our preparation, you know, in Japan, they have the most family businesses, <laughs> the highest, the most generations, 10th generation business. Through adoption, through adoption, they That's they'll so, have so I they'll have that. like a protege who's working at the business yeah. who's like being groomed, yeah. and then they officially adopt him. Yes, I mentioned that on a podcast on Tuesday. We had, we had that discussion, so it was. Did you give me credit? It's okay. uh, no, I didn't. I should. <laughs> it's okay. I learned it. I learned it from Freakonomics. So, who whose podcast were you on? Uh, that was a local. Um, so we have two business publications in the state, and our favorite one is Business New Hampshire Magazine, and they do one called Bizcast NH. Yeah. Yeah. So remember our remember like what back one of our first dates we we went to the factory and I was on the scooter. Yeah. And you were like, oh my god, this this is this is crazy. This guy's on the scooter going through the factory. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in charge of safety. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you were in the scooter, like going through the factory yeah, on the scooter because you have a huge place. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's like, pretty cool. Wear your safety glasses. Stay in the lines. You're this going was, too this fast. was after hours. Yeah, I know. So yeah, you're like, if I ever work here, this ain't right. happening. Right. <laughs> um. Well, that I. I mean, I feel like it would be neat to work with my wife in some kind of business. I. Obviously, it all just depends on your relationship and your personalities. And right. it sounds like you guys have carved out your own roles. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah. our our skills are really complementary. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I would analyze things so much I wouldn't do anything. And Aaron maybe would go f too fast jumping into things, so we balance each other out that way. Um, we've, you know just automatically learned over time that if I'm down, he's going to pull me up and vice versa. Like mm -hmm. we can both go off the deep end at the same time. Um, we've also talked about this with a lot of other couples who work together, you know, those little things that get on your nerves and fester, you really, you, you can't afford to have that happen. So it really forces you to work through minor conflicts quicker and just mm. not get caught up in, in, you know, the petty resentments that can build up in a relationship because you got to work together. Interesting. So, so one thing makes it stronger. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, I, not in every marriage, but in a lot of marriages, um, one spouse may feel resentful if the other one's working a lot or having to travel and like we're completely on board supporting one another with workload and, you know, sometimes he's busier and, you know, I do more yeah. at home and vice versa. And we're both uh, CVOs. What's a CV CVO? Yeah. So I'm the chief visionary officer. Ah. And Adria is the chief validation officer. Interesting. Did, tell me more about what you just came, you, you came up with these titles yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Back. God, I think ago. in 
2010, yeah. yeah. 10, 15 years ago. So, I mean, that's just, I'm just kind of reiterating what Adria said, right? I mean, so I've, I'm kind of thinking about things up here and going after things that may not be necessarily something that needs to be done right in front of us. So I'm strategically thinking and, you know, we got, I'm thinking three machines ahead and Adria is, you know, wanting to look at the numbers as far as validating the purchase. Yeah, you need both. You can't have one, you can't have two of the same. Otherwise, right. yeah, it, it'll, it yeah. wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings me to another thing then, since you're talking about, you know, vision, et cetera, you guys have done some acquisitions recently we, yeah. or over, <laughs> the, over the last, over the last few years. Yeah. Give me the rundown of a few of those and how they happen, because as you know, this is, this is something we're really interested in now at Graf Pinkert is yeah. M&A stuff. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so. so you want to talk about the... Which one do you want to talk about? So going do quickly, do them all quickly. So back in, Go, give me a quick overview, and then maybe we'll talk about the the most recent one. Yeah. So when did we get the machines? And I always joke that we got two employees. Yeah, that was uh, seven years ago. Yeah, seven or eight years ago. Um, a local local company wasn't making ends meet, came in and talked to Aaron, you know, do you want to buy our machines? Um, we took the customer list, but it didn't pan out. There's a reason why things weren't working out for them. Um, so we got equipment at a great price. Yeah, we, so it just became an asset. Yeah, thing. didn't didn't buy their employees, of course, but we offered them job site and scene um, because it was apparent to us that they were worried about making payroll. So we just took them on. They've been two of our best hires. We adore them. Em- employees and machines, not too bad. Yeah. I mean, even if there aren't jobs, that's awesome. Yeah. Right. And that was really being at the right place at the right time, right? I mean, it, yeah. there's some luck in there. We were literally a stone's throw away from this shop. So, you know, he could literally walk up to our front door and knock on the door and say, hey, guys, you know, and that's basically how it went down. Yeah, but, but it's on you. You guys have sure had a good relationship. And that's yeah, right. And that, that's, that really that's is why it happened. Attributable yeah. to Aaron yeah. and who Aaron is. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And then in 2017, we bought Minnesota Ice Pick. So we'd been making the blades. A pick. Uh, you know, the, 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 the metal pointed, part. Pointed portion. They had been outsourcing to you. Yeah. Yeah. He was sourcing the blade from us, handles from Maine and shipping them to the Midwest. Um, Literally just had a contract shop putting them together. And then he had them all going to a storage facility and he'd go fulfill orders a couple times a week. So he was ready to fully retire and get out of that just, you know, little side job. So we bought rights to that, the equipment, the inventory, whatnot. It's been great filler work. So if any of our employees are slow, you know, if a machine's down, they can pop over there and just make ice picks. So what what kind of machine do you make that on? Um, All custom made presses. Yeah. Assembly machines. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. We just got a... $600 $600 order or something for Liverpool, England. Yeah, most of them go to Mexico. Yeah. Ice picks in Mexico. Yeah. I yeah. guess I guess they have they need a lot of ice cubes, so Yes. It sounds like what you're saying is certain employees working on like the Swiss machines for instance would then be able to go and work on the They typically can hop on a different Swiss. It's more been in our our pin group. Um, you know, if there's a knurling machine down or in setup, they'll hop over there. Right. But I guess what I'm asking is, are your employees able to work on all kinds of different machines? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good because a lot of people, they're just like, oh, no, these guys are this. We don't want to. They'll just fight me if I try to make them 
work on this other, even if it's another, even if it's a Swiss machine, if it's another brand, it sounds like you guys don't, you guys are sort of. Yeah. I mean, even on our floor, we have, we have Citizen, we have Sugami, uh, we have Hanwa. So, I mean, we have just, just, you know, on the floor and then we have a, a you know, a, a Doosan or a DN Solutions. And everybody is, is, feels good about running everything. Yeah, I mean, they all welcome the opportunity. We can't, we don't have everything on everything, but people recognize that as an advantage and something desirable. That's really good. Good for used machinery dealers, too, who like have one kind of thing and it's like, how about this? We don't have a citizen. Right. Yeah. So that was, um, that was a, so it was a really positive experience for us and where so many of our parts are obscure and hard to explain where they go. I think our employees love being able to explain that, you know, we make ice picks. So we had the opportunity at going on three years ago to buy um, a wood lathe. And we're like, no, we don't need wood lathes, but why are you selling your wood lathes? So we dug in a little bit more. It was our son's um, pitching coach. He was making baseball bats in his garage and needed to get out of that business to focus more on coaching. And um, we thought, all right, so tell me about this. What is this? He had like a very small business with one wood lathe and he was he was selling the stuff locally or how was yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. Literally in his in his garage is where this was set up. And I thought, how hard can it be? We're already doing the ice picks. What could be, you know, what could be so hard about that? And then what did you find? We found that there um there are so many variations, models, weights, lengths colors so. hard to get wood yeah wood wood became very hard to get we opened the business in the spring of 2021 right as like wood became scarce and the prices went went crazy yeah. um, so we learned quickly and we had to make a decision quickly because there were orders that needed to be fulfilled okay so you bought he had a business that had some customers already yeah he had the equipment just one one wood lathe, I assume. Yeah. And yeah, so, and then, you know, some yeah. other equipment for sanding and Painting. engraving. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had he the bought, whole process, right? From he had from the whole process to finish, to finish back. And yeah. then did he teach you yeah. the process? Yeah, he, he came in, you know, we bought the business from him and he came in and, you know, shared his process with us and how he did it. And, you know, we've been fine tuning it ever since. But, you know, we have. We have three different ice pick models, and I thought we'd have, you know, a dozen bat models. We do stock some, you know, because those kids are like, hey, mom, my bat broke last weekend. I forgot to tell you, and I need one for the tournament tomorrow. And we get a lot of emergency calls. Um, so we do keep some in stock, but a lot of our business is a team order where they'll say they want this model and this weight and this style. And we do a lot of individual orders, a lot of trophy bat. So they're, you know, highly. I got a zillion bat. questions about this. Yeah. So, Here's one. Oh, nice. I mean, just nice. beautiful. Everybody, everybody watching this, you're going to have to tune in to the social okay. media or the full thing. And it's called what's 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 on yeah, there? Sir. Walter Bat Company. So a cool little story on that. Uh, the WH Bagshaw Company, our, our parent company, was founded by my great-great-grandfather, Walter Henry. So this is Walter's actual signature from 1878 when he signed his naturalization papers. So we use that as, his, as the logo for the, for the Bat Company. Very interesting. Uh, I was doing some some research before this. I went to Louisville Slugger's site. Yep. I believe their first bat was created in 1878. Isn't that great? 
How interesting is That's that? That's very interesting. So this is one of our most popular. Nice. It's an American flag bat. This is called, yeah, the Uncle Sam. And this one, just whenever this one comes out, people are like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me with this bat? This is amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're beautiful. Like, they're, they're well-crafted. But we've gotten awesome feedback from people using them in terms of, you know, how they're hitting with them. You know, we've had them tested against other models with velocity gauges. And okay. Whatnot. Well, so my impression was that the main people who used wood bats are professionals because the amateurs just want to use metal bats. Mm -hmm. Am I yeah, incorrect so there? There's, there's a tremendous uh, amount of wood bat usage in the summer across across the United States in, in collegiate summer leagues. So all collegiate baseball players primarily are playing summer ball after their season, after their school season ends. They're playing in these summer leagues. You know, the Cape is, is a big, big one. The Cape Summer League is it's huge. It's an elite one. They use wood bats, they, not they metal? They all primarily are using wood bats. So, um, What about in regular college baseball? No. That, that'll be metal. Isn't right. that weird? That'd be metal. So for some reason, these, these collegiate summer leagues are using wood bats. And then even with travel teams, with teenagers, they have summer bat tournaments, summer, you know, summer league tournaments with wood bats. And fall leagues often will be wood as well. Yeah. Thank you to everybody listening to this. It gives me a real sense of purpose, knowing that people feel they get a lot of value out of the show, enough value at least to take the time to listen. Likely some serendipitous occurrence caused you to discover Swarfcast. And I know it might get tiring with me constantly talking about serendipity, but it's just on my mind a lot lately. You might have saw a promo for the show on social media or a coworker told you about it. In any case, if you know of somebody out there who would get some value out of the show, I'd like you to return the favor that you received once upon a time and spread the word. That's the only way others are going to find out about it. Back to the episode. So it's just certain seasons, they decide this is a wood bat league. Yeah, interesting. Really? Yeah, I had no idea. And Have you... Here's yeah. a fun fact. One of our business friends um, in Minnesota actually is in a softball league and we, you know, we're asking him about Shopify and how to, you know, set up for retail. He um, said that they are moving from metal to wood for a softball league because it's reducing injuries. <laughs> you know, the, the difference between hitting the speed of the ball coming off the bat on aluminum versus wood. Oh, you mean it's in it, reducing injuries for, say, the pitcher who yes. could take his head off? Yes. Very yeah. interesting. So a lot of adult leagues for, for men and women are moving to what as well. Yep. Wow. So, okay. So you, you clearly, you know, you have the elephant in the room, the big competitor, Louisville Slugger. So where do you come in? So we're, we're this little boutique, you know, bat company where you're really able to, you know, you can come and you could swing the bat at our facility. Um, you can order it specifically how you want it. Uh, you could paint it like the Uncle Sam bat, or you could paint it whatever you want. So you have the ability. And you, you can't do that with the Louisville Slugger if you're just a normal average person? Yeah, no, you're going to get a standard bat. So what we've loved is working at a community level 
we've always tried to get out with our main manufacturing company to, you know, talk about manufacturing and how great careers are and share our story. But, you know, when there's a golf tournament or a community event, we're not going to set a table up and like, look at our, look at our pins and needles that we sell. We can get out there in the community with Walter Bat, and it's been a really great way to bring kids in. You bring a field trip through and show them the CNC machines, and it's not always very intriguing to them. But when you show them the bats, they understand that. They can see the billet, see how it goes through the steps. It's tangible. It's a product they understand. And then they they understand the basics and the concept and the mechanics of forming. And you bring them over and show them how it works over on the other side to make medical and aerospace parts. And they get it a lot better. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm sort of been fascinated by cross-training you know, like there's this book I always talk about. It's called Range. It's by a guy named David Epstein. It's about people who have one job and then they use those skills for another job and it, it makes them strong, their their brain stronger. So they go into this other job and it's like their muscles are already developed. He, he did one about also called the sports gene where hmm. they showed how athletes, you know, like the Jamaican bobsled team, you know. So so are your employees from the CNC machines also making the bats? Did you take the same people and you use the talent? A little bit of crossover. I mean, it's really a fledgling business. I mean, we're just in our second year. Um, but the idea is, you know, as we grow, we'll be able to, to cross train and, and move people in and out. But, you know, like machinists are so, so hard to, to find right now. So we're not going to pull a highly skilled machinist off to, to sand bats or... Yeah. Well, but I mean, with just yourselves, as far as running a company that um, running a manufacturing company, you guys already came in with a certain skill set, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so no, we're we're making, you know, hundreds of bats, not thousands of bats, right? We have one lathe, one, uh, one lathe can make a bat in three minutes. So, you know, we, we really can burn through a bunch of bats quickly so when we get to those those next levels, right, those, uh, where we're making thousands of bats, I really I would see just like what we're talking about. I would yeah. see folks coming over, you know, from the Swiss world to run, you know, a hundred bats and then go back over to this. So that will happen eventually, but we're not there yet. But that are definitely. you are you dealing with sourcing the different kinds of wood and yeah, yeah. preparing the, right the wood and yeah. So how much of it is outsourced versus vertically integrated? So all of the billets, the raw material for the wood is, is New England based. Um, Oh, cool. Some in Northern New York and some in, uh, in Quebec. Give me the, the brief process of taking the tree and I was reading about it online, you know, like there's only a certain amount of the tree that they'll, that's even right. So good enough. And you don't take the center of the tree. You take the outside of the tree, right? So you're you're taking the outside of the tree and you're getting that chopped and you're getting that cut and you're getting it shaped. When we get it, it comes to us in a round billet. So almost like bar stock, if you would, going into a bar loader. Exactly what right? I meant. Ah, okay. We're getting that in maple and we're getting that in birch. What are the other ones that are theoretically possible for bats? There's some ash, but there is... A lot of the ash trees have been decimated by the uh, ashborn beetle um, who's eaten all these ash trees around here. So it's uh, very difficult to get ash anymore. So birch came in as, as a replacement uh, and maple is really the primary raw material right now. 
Okay, so you get the bats. Uh, get you the get billets. the you buy the bullets. Billets. Yeah, yeah we buy the billets, um, and then we then put that billet after a lot of measuring and weighing, because you have to have the correct weight in order to come up with the correct finished bat. And there's ratios based on the length and based on the finished weight of the bat that you're looking for. So all of that has to get done. Then you put that into the lathe and basically get your right program and turn that design that you want, that the, you know, that the customer wants. So you turn that out. Uh, then that would go to a sanding process, real quick sanding process, uh, hand sanding, uh, very tactile. So you're, you're getting a really nice, beautiful finish. Uh, and then it would go to uh, paint and then laser engraving uh, and then a finish. You have all that in your place. The it's painting all in-house. And yeah. The- yeah, that's all in-house. Good, bad, or indifferent. One of one of the factors that we have to work with is we're in a really old mill building. We've got a ton of space. We'd love to be in a more modern facility, but we have what we have. Um, mm-hmm. We're in a great location in downtown Nashville. But we've got a lot of space. So instead of, you know, lamenting over the wasted space, we found great ways to use it. Very interesting. And so will you do custom made bats for you? You said you can go and you can say, I want X length. I want this design on it. And you guys will will make a custom bat for somebody. Yes. Yeah, we've done a lot, you know, for graduating seniors, they'll get, you know, it painted with their school color, their logo, you know, the school mascot. And then they'll also add, you know, the player's name, number, and all that. We've done a lot for business people. They're great for awards. So, you know, it can be in the company colors. You know, they get an award bad for hitting it out of the park. Yep. This is a B2C product. And every everything you've done before this has been B2B, I guess. 100%. And that's really, Andrea was t- you kind of talked about that a little bit ago. Yeah. But, you know, we make it and we ship it and it goes right into someone's hands and they can use it. Right. On the Swiss side of things, for all of us that run Swiss shops, everything we make goes into something else, which helps that thing work. And you never really get to see what that is in a lot of cases. In some cases we do. But, you know, right. There is something satisfying about. Yeah. Yeah. We had two young boys come in and they designed their bats and they were really beautiful bats. They were. They How were, did they get to design it? Did they design it on, on the computer or did they just draw it? Or um, I don't know if they did it. You can. I don't know. I, I don't know if they did it on the website, which you can, or if they did it, you know, in, in person. But they came in and when they took them out, of, it was like Christmas for these kids. When they took them out of this packaging in this box, they, they, they looked at the, the bat and they said, this is the best day ever. <laughs> I mean, these two little boys were so excited. It was just a magical moment. Uh, you know, for me, just being out, we were literally on our loading dock, you know, and they came to pick them up with their mother. And it was this really neat moment we had. But it's, uh, yeah, you get this, there's this tactile thing that, you know, they can either put on their wall because they don't want to hit with it because it's so beautiful and awesome. Or they bring it to the game and they hit a home run. Yeah. No, I mean, there's something really satisfying about having something that's a thing. Yeah. With your marketing, are you doing a lot of like Instagram and a lot yeah. of... it's been a really nice thing. We've been able to pull our kids in. Um, so our son is a sophomore at Endicott College down in Beverly, Mass. He's a, a pitcher. He's been doing some of the behind the scenes work on Instagram um, obviously given us a ton of information and helped. And our daughter has been working in our training center. So last year we opened up a training center with six different cages, workout area. Oh, you opened up a training center uh, uh, for hitting. 
Yeah. yeah, in our big mill building. So we yeah. have a pro shop. We do a lot of events and clinics, a lot of teams. Oh, fun. Workouts. We've got drop-in hours. We've got a membership program so you can have unlimited drop-ins. Is this business profitable or break-even? or? Um, the bats are meh, <laughs> getting there. But the training center, you know, not looking at the investment we made, but we're making profit now on the, on the training center. The, That's what's... the big advantage is we own the building, right? So yeah. there's, it's, it's a, it's a big advantage and it, it really puts us in a, in a good position to be able to maximize the space and really create a beautiful, beautiful space for, you know, coming in and playing baseball and working out and learning and growing and, you know, becoming a better athlete. And for us, it's been great bringing families through, right? So people are on their way up to a camp or a clinic and they're peeking in like, what's this about? What do you guys do? What's the connection? So are they paying home. attention, any attention to the Swiss machines or are they just walking yeah. right past? They go right by and they, yeah. get, and they get a glimpse. There's and, a little nod over there. Oh, what's that? You know, so it's good. Is it a distraction from uh, your other businesses? You know, it's something that we have to balance. I think it's been hard, you know, like a year ago, we had a bunch of turf in the way. <laughs> Everyone had to navigate while we were waiting, yeah. you know, to move the turf upstairs. Our employees have had to, to be flexible, but I think they're really proud. They appreciate, you know, who can't be behind youth sports. They they love seeing the kids coming in and out. You know, our second shift bears the brunt of that because a lot of our, our um, activity up there is at night. But they're super on board, you know, if any of the staff members upstairs need help, you know. It, yeah, I mean, with baseball is America's pastime, right? I yeah. mean... There's just a lot of energy around energy, it yeah. and pride. You know, everyone's, we've got great merchandise. Um, another one of our tenants is Mint Print Works. So we've got a screen printing business right on site. So have you supplied any major leaguers? No. So the, the caveat there is, is that the Holy Grail, right? Yeah. And you have to be MLB certified in order to do that. Uh, we are not MLB certified at this point. So if there's any MLB folks out there listening and, you know, you're looking for a good partner with a really good product. You can give us a call, Walter Back Company. <laughs> oh, okay. So, is it kind of like getting ISO certified, or? I mean, yeah. There's there's an expense to it. There's an insurance policy that has to be in place in order for you to be manufacturing and and you know for those bats to be used in gameplay. Um, so there's a few hurdles you got to jump through. You know, when the time comes, it'll be right for us. So we're, you know. But you're supplying college players then for the summer leagues. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so future MLBers. Right. Well, and as the more you do that, the more, if you were able to get the certification, could you then endorse a player and yes. pay them to use your bat? And is yep. this something that you've considered? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've said it before. It's not, it's not something that we are chasing because okay. we want that to happen more organically. Um, you know, hopefully someone sees our product or hears, hears about our product or hears about us as a company and who we are. And then, you know, that, that happens that way. So that's what we're kind of hoping. Do you plan to scale like bigger and sell yeah. a lot more and make yeah. this a bigger thing? Yep. That's really interesting. It's really cool. Uh, and so you mentioned this and uh, it's not nice to talk about people, but we might as well. Uh, <laughs> you think th this could be something maybe that your kids might be interested, like, like might capture their interest more in getting into the business? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's given them a way to get involved in the, in the short term. Um, you know, we've made it clear to them that it's an option for them, but it's not an expectation of them. Yep. Yeah. 
back. Yeah, I think the more pressure you give, the more like it might backfire on yeah, you. Yeah, the more resistance you're going to get, right? I mean, in, if you just leave that opportunity kind of hanging out there, I think that best way to happen naturally, right? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's, it's hard to read people's minds. Do you feel like part of them is pulled? Like they just feel like, well, there's so many generations. I I ought to do this. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I think they feel strongly that the company should stay in the family. Um, they've got great questions. They know our employees. They love, you know, walking through, you know, if they're helping for a day, you know, they know people. And if they don't know people, they want to know who's who. Um, we're having a meeting next month while our son is home from college. We're meeting with a family business consultant that we've worked with before just to start getting some regularity to and structure to our conversations yeah. so they know what we're working on and why, you know, and they have another resource. If, really excited for that. Yeah. And we're taking a yeah, half day to like really have a, a big powwow about it. That's it's really interesting. What is... Something, I mean, I, I probably have already answered this question, but anything on, on the horizon, it's just something that you're just like really itching to talk about, or is it pretty much you've already talked about the most exciting stuff with the well, bats? I think for me quickly, I'll, I'll say, you know, we've put it out there that we want to double the size of our business. So that means, you know, we're at 30 Swiss machines today. You know, is it a straight doubling of 60 machines? Maybe, maybe not, but we have the, the space to grow. Um, mm, I can see nice. a lot of machines in our space, yeah. and it, it really it looks good. So, I mean, that being said, we're... How about used multi-spindles? Right? <laughs> yeah. We need, we, does that come with a few employees? So, you know, that's I, we're putting that energy out, and, you know, we've talked to a few customers and let them know, you know, if they have large opportunities for us, that's our goal in the next five to 10 years is to double our business, double the size of our business. I mean, and it sounds like you're open to other acquisitions too. If right. That, right. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, one of, one of the pathways that we'll be looking at, you know, going down this road. It's really interesting. Did you have anything to, to add, Adria? Yeah, I have a plug. So um, a lot of the time I spent at our annual meeting where we were just connecting, um, I talked to a lot of other business owners about their state small business development center. It is a free, really, really important resource to small businesses that no one seems to know about. I just was appointed by the administrator of the SBA to serve on the national board for the small business development centers. Thank you. Really, really <laughs> excited. Um, we've been really, really involved. We've benefited a ton. They obviously help with startups. They obviously help with companies who are in distress, but you know, just strategically when you're at a crossroads or trying to pivot or make a decision, implement something new or just ongoing, we're doing, ours is doing a three-part series. I'm going to one on diversity and inclusion. Aaron's going to one on cybersecurity. And I forget what the third topic was, but they, you know, they have great education and resources. So I encourage all of the small business leaders out there to Check out their local hmm. small business maybe, development. Yeah, stuff. maybe we should. Right. I mean, we're, we're a small business. Should. They're awesome. Just a couple other questions. Can you give an example of how serendipity has been important in your life? Serendipity. Yeah. Go ahead. Blind date. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on, right? And that she was into manufacturing. And, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that, Noah. It doesn't get any better than that. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think anything's by luck. I think, you know, being a good person, networking, being yes. for other people, like that all comes around tenfold. What is something interesting that you've learned recently? It could be, you know, like in the last week or last month, just something. It could be just totally random. It doesn't have to be about business. Or. Real quick, it was Noah, what you said about generational businesses in Japan has really <laughs> stuck with me. I, I mean, to the point where I brought it up in a, in a recent podcast, like I said earlier. I'll try to find the, uh, the episode to that send to you. That would be great. That would I would I would love after to, we're off I'll I'll send it to you. I would love to listen to that. It, it's it's just it's up here. It's staying right up here for some reason or the front side of my lobe. It's it's right there. Yeah. So that was interesting. I'm learning about intermittent fasting and autophagy. Atopic? No, I can't no. remember the word. Autophagy. <laughs> autophagy. Yes. What what is autophagy? Is that um, related to intermittent fasting? It's a, it's a part of it. It's what your body does to like eat up the bad cells. So I just like learned about it and I'm ready to dig in and like really learn more. That's awesome. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, we work really hard at being healthy and try to bring in healthier foods. And we don't have sodas at work. And we try to keep healthy. Awesome. Do you have anything else to say to the people of the world before yes, we wrap this up? we would be remiss if we didn't say how much we love our employees. A hundred percent, right? I mean, we none of us are doing what we do today without our people. So thank you, people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I oh. always say, you know, we, we didn't buy the company and put all of our, um, you know, everything we own on the line because we thought we were going to get really rich and retire young. You know, we did it from a sense of pride and, and purpose. And it's really about coming into work and making a great opportunity for our employees every day. Love it. I see. So you had to buy it from your family. It wasn't just yeah, inherited. Correct. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I, I thank you. And tell everybody, uh, I mean, WH Bagshaw, but where, if they're interested in finding a bat, where should they go? WalterBats.com. WalterBats.com. Yep. Yes. How much does one bat cost? Depends, but we can be anywhere from 89 to 200 bucks. All, all depends on what you're doing. And no desire to get into the metal bats? No. Nope. No, nope, none. Um, but we do also make bottle openers. So there's a really good good baseball-related gift at a better price point. <laughs> T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats. Lots of good stuff. Candles. Yeah. Wal WalterBats.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. you've been great. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Thank you.